Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland on News Talk. Now, as you know, everyone bustling around the shops um, online and also in the high street looking for ideas, looking for inspiration. And of course, a lot of what you get will be mass produced in places far, far, far away, buying machines, etc. But what about overlooking the wonder and beauty sometimes of handmade toys? This is a whole burgeoning, growing and very diverse industry and we decided we'd feature it on our industry review this week. And I'm joined here in studio by Chloe Gardner, who's the founder of the Wonky Woolens. Uh, She's out of Galway. She's come all the way up to talk to us. We also have Michael White, who is the founder of Row Oak. He's based in Cork. And Geraldine O'Connor, who's the co-owner and founder of Lichine Toys, all of them making handcrafted toys. So we want to, I suppose, amplify their message a little bit because they're up against some big multinational competitors who are offering a totally different type of thing to their children. Folks, you're all very welcome along. I'm going to go to you first, Chloe. You're a, a solo operator, so to speak. You do use others as well. First of all, it's all about crochet. Just tell us a little bit about what you produce. Yeah, so I run the Wonky Woolens and we're... I'll move into the microphone a bit more so uh, we can hear you fully. Multi-award winning like children's brand. So we create a range of all these handmade soft toys. And I started the business when I was 15, kind of inspired by my granny's collection of like wonky knit toys that had survived years of play and adventure from the time she'd been a child. And I kind of realised there was nothing like that on the market, nothing with the same longevity or uniqueness of handmade. So that's what inspired the whole business. And I used to make all of the toys myself. But now we partner with social enterprises and not-for-profits in Morocco and Nepal. And they produce all of our toys by hand now. Now sell me the idea of a handcrafted toy. Why should I care if I'm a child? What's so great about it? I think the thing with especially our wonky woolens is they're just so unique. You know, every single toy has been handcrafted from a piece of wool. Not a single piece of machinery touches that and each of them is unique as the next. So I think looking back at the toys that my granny had, when we had them as kids, they were so unique and like nothing we'd seen before. So they had that kind of uniqueness to them and every time we saw them, they reminded us of granny. So they kind of held on to like generations of memories. So that's the idea with the handmade toys is that they'll survive hundreds of years of play just as like my granny's had. And they kind of have those memories within them and, and they last for years unlike other toys. Okay, let me bring in some of our other uh, members of our <laughs> panel. We have to, oh, there's a cough. Uh, we have Michael White of Row. Oh, Michael, good morning to you. Good afternoon. Oh, good afternoon. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right to point yeah, that out. Your timber, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your, your timber toys. So t- tell me what you're producing. Um, I have always been in craftwork, especially timber craftwork and bespoke furniture. And that's where I originally started. I'd known other toy makers with a great reputation. And I thought I wanted to emulate their standards. And I really believe in investing in quality and using sustainable practices and materials. And I really wanted to bring that appreciation for Irish ties and the living tradition of the craftwork in Ireland. And I thought the other side of it is I had a passion for learning through clay. And for my first tie that I bought to the market was a run bike. And I had seen something kind of like it when I was abroad on holidays. And I decided to make these in Ireland. And I knew I could design something safe and sturdy and easy to use and general maintenance free. And... After the CE testing, I launched that product, and it was really, really popular um, because of the fact of how robust was. And and Michael, can I ask a question? Of, I'm, I'm looking yeah. at photographs of your 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 stuff, what you turn out, your output, and it looks it looks they look lo- lovely, you know, very nicely crafted, as you say. How do you compete with the the mass produced toys, the competitors? Like, what is it? Uh, is it you're going to be more expensive? I'm guessing, but maybe I'm wrong. But but what is it that you're saying to parents that why should I buy you and not something from Hasbro or whoever it is? 
Yeah. Um, I suppose people who invest in Mai Tais really are looking for something that's Irish designed, handcrafted quality, ethical ties. And I suppose they're looking into in looking and developing the tradition that we have. I suppose my ties are directly available for con- from contacting me are in Cockcraft and Design and online through Coando and not on the high street. And I do a lot of craft fairs and agricultural shows where I get to meet people and bring out the message of my product. So it's really seeing the voice of people's eyes and just talking to people and getting to know them and then building that and making that connection with people. And there is a real appreciation for the quality and the handcrafted aspect okay. of the toys. Now, sit, most of my customers sure. are grandparents, actually. Okay, sit tight for a second there, Michael, because we want to get the, the full uh, extent of our panel. Geraldine O'Connor, who is the co-owner and founder of Lichine Toys. Good, good afternoon, should I say, Geraldine. Good afternoon. Thanks for coming on. Now, you are in the Montessori materials uh, side of things, but just tell our listeners what what you're making with your hands. Well, we started off in the Montessori materials because I was a Montessori teacher. And when I was studying in Galway University, everything was made of cardboard. So we asked them, can we put this onto wood? And then the lecturers took our stuff to Sweden and it just took off. But now we're doing things like maps of Ireland, maps of Europe, and Cogs the Brain Shop in Stevens Green in Dublin asked us to come up with a map, a Gaelga map of Ireland. So we've just brought that into our website and onto the market. And we're really delighted with the response we're getting. We do um, we also do ring boards and it's more hand-eye coordination with us. And we're also working with a whole range of children's puzzles. We do traveller family. We're trying to diversify out as much as we can and we're listening to what people need. And uh, who who would be your competitors? Who who if the people are not buying what you're turning out, where else would they go? I don't know because when we Google, <laughs> nice <things>, answer. Um, <laughs> we don't have competitors. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not that. I don't mean to sound arrogant. It's just when we Googled the ring boards, we we were taught for the ring boards. We don't expect didn't expect this at all. We just love what we do, and we started off doing Montessori. But really, what we want to do is help develop anything we can to do with children and hand-eye coordination. And my husband started a ring club in Ballyhigh, and there's a lot of men sheds now using it. So it's really about making the most of being here and have something that brings people a bit of joy. And that's where we've come from. Because we didn't expect it to become what it has, but we're very grateful and very blessed. OK, let, let me go back to Chloe, who's uh, here in the studio. Chloe, I mean, a lot of people hear, you know, handcrafted, cottage industry, we use that phrase. You obviously started with crochet on your own, but you've actually taken the step of getting other people involved in in the making of them. Are you are like is that? Are you unusual in that sense, or is it still just somebody in a workshop? A little bit like what um, um, what we're talking about in terms of the the, the bikes and so on that um, Michael was talking about. Like, is 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 have you taken an extra step by going getting these? We mentioned Morocco and so on. Yeah, I think we have gone and taken the extra step. You know, it used to just be me sitting in the living room making all the toys, and I got to a stage where. It was 18, 19 hours a day just producing all the toys myself. And, you know, when you're producing everything yourself, there's I'm no... i thinking that your fingers are going to be, you know, yeah, <laughs> marked, yeah. cut to pieces here. They're not in good shape, but um, the idea came about to start partnering with social enterprises and not-for-profits. So we spent about six months working in Eastern Europe. It didn't work out. And then I began talking with social enterprises in Morocco and Nepal because the skill level, especially with crochet, you know, crochet can't be done by a machine. It has to be done by hand. 
So we began working in Morocco and Nepal and I started training up the women how to make the toys with videos and everything. And from there, it's it's grown. And I think that now that we have these social enterprises who work with us and they're quite large, we have scalability so we can go into retail and everything. So you're actually in Arnott's, which obviously was mentioned earlier for different reasons, but <laughs> you're, you've got your products on the shelf there. How easy or hard was that? Uh, did they have, are they open to handcrafted uh, products or did you have to really push the door, blast it off to get in there and say this is different or were they are they quite used to dealing with handcrafted companies? I think we're in with the Arnott's Christmas markets. They have a lot of kind of small businesses in there. A lot of them are handmade. But I think the number one thing with retailers, understandably, is do you have scale and can you keep up with the demand? And if I was still making the toys, it would be a no and, and for right good reasons. But I think we've did Spring Fair in the NEC in Birmingham earlier this year and you know a lot of people the thing with the, with our toys is that they're so good in a way that they don't always look handmade so we have that kind of benefit to us as well when we go into retail but yeah it, it's been it's been I think it's been a hard journey to get them to where they are and to kind of show people that yeah we have scalability for retailers. Michael how do you deal with that issue a problem of success if you want to call it that which is yes we like our stuff it looks lovely well crafted really makes a statement but can you give us you know, 500 bikes by next year, middle of the year or something. Like, what do you do when you, or do you just say, we're not in that game and we don't even try to meet those um, expectations? How do you manage people saying, can you get the stuff to us? Yeah, um, some of my um, toys really are no problem to get out. The run bike though is particularly quite a difficult one because there are so many components to it. But like, I was I do as um a similar with a meticulous attention to detail ensuring that the ties are maintenance free and I suppose it's standing over my ties and bringing them to market you know the numbers can be scaled up no problem if that needs be but there are certain ties that I would have and I do keep a quite a good stock in hand ready to go if the need arises that I do get quite a large order um, and Michael, how how wedded? It, I haven't had such an order to sure. do some four or five hundred, but um, yeah, any orders that I've had, I've always been able to fulfil as they've. And how wedded are you to the handcrafted part? I mean, how like if if you suddenly found a machine that can turn out all your run bikes and all the rest of it, and it's cheap and affordable, and you can stick it in your house. Is that it for you for handcrafted or is it no, I'm doing this for different reasons. It's not purely convenience, ease and the money. There's other reasons I'm doing it. Yes, and I'm a person for the other reasons. I, when I started and when I did a lot of the advice from people who were in business, I was recommended that I should take my idea maybe to some other place, that it might be a cheaper option. But I actually firmly believe in what I do. And there's more to it than just the financial aspect of it. I believe in we pass on that appreciation to the kids and, you know, they'll appreciate something that's been made. I really believe in that. And I believe that when they see a tradition, it's so acknowledged, they take that message with them and they actually reinvest in that themselves when it comes to their own children. I mean, I would have customers, for example, that would say to me, you know, of all the ties that came into the house, the one tie that has really lasted is, for example, the rocker was something that came up lately. And they said to me, they actually think their own kids are going to be fighting. Who's, who's going to take it to their house? And when you hear something like that, that's, you know, money can't buy that kind of, um, you know, feedback. I'm always saying, you know, if they want something else, maybe there's other markets out there for it. Sure. But I believe in quality. I believe in making sure a satisfied customer, yes, you can go with the mass-produced, 
but that's not what I'm after right okay. now at the moment. Ger- Geraldine, you're in a slightly different um, situation in the sense that you're, you've got a kind of a niche, which is education. I know you go to some of the education fairs and you talk to uh, mm-hmm. some of the education providers. So you have a, a kind of a ready-made market that al- already exists before even you guys came along. Does that make yeah. your life a little bit easier that you know exactly who you're talking to, you know them very well, well and personally and so on? Well, I did train with a lot of the students, but that was years ago. We're in business 40 years now and we're diversifying. We've come up with a new game called Dealey. It's a form of ice hockey. It's nothing to do with where we originally came from. Do you know, we just feel today that everything's push button, remote control, kids are on gadgets and computers. And we'd one little boy rang us from the Iron Islands and he said to us, you never put our uh, island on Inishbohan on the map. And we were really... Whoa, that's a problem. <laughs> and your, the little boy was on the news then where he's from. And we had to laugh because it was saying, this little boy called Kilty put Inishbohan on the map. And he literally did. And, you know, I tell you, ours, our business is a way of life. It's kind of a philosophy and we're, you know, we deal with such lovely people from every walk of life. And the fact that I was trained in it really helped if people had questions. We didn't expect it to grow like it has. We're grateful that it has. But it's a way of life and um, it's just lovely and we hope to have another good few years at it yet. Yeah, well, I can hear, I can hear the passion, passion dripping out of your voice. It's, it's, you don't hear that often when it's just a, a transactional product that goes out the door. Uh, Chloe, I mean, we hear a lot of entrepreneurs, they, they tramp through the uh, studios here and tell us about how they started up and they say, when I started, I didn't have shoes on my feet and I didn't have a single euro in my bank account. But you've actually got one of those stories. You started at 15 with 50 euros, some wool and a crochet hook. So <laughs> you have literally come from, well, not zero, but not far off it. So yeah. do you see this as like, you're, people obviously can't see you, but you're a young woman sitting in front of me here. Do you see this as your future career? Do you see this as this will grow and maybe it'll provide a very steady income for me? Do you see this as something I do for a few years and see where I go? What's your own personal ambitions for it all? I am currently in college. I'm in the University of Galway studying commerce. But I think my main goal is to have the wonky woolens in my I hope future. you're not missing lectures to make the crochet <laughs> items and your lectures are not listening either. Apologies for my lectures. Um, no, I think um, I do want the wonky woolens to be a big part of my future. I think it is something that I will stick with. We have a lot of opportunities coming our way. We're popping up in John Lewis and Oxfordshire next week and everything. So I think we get the woolens into, into different retailers. We keep growing our online sales. There's no reason why it can provide me with a good income and other people with a good income in the coming years. So I think... And if you had to automate, if you... And this could be years from now, but an advisor says to you, look, Chloe, it's great. We love the products, but to get the amount out, we need to make this crochet machine or something that replicates it, Right. I mean, are you open to that? Or are you absolutely ideologically against that in every way and all circumstance? Well, I think we'd play I... this tape in a few years' time. By the <laughs> yeah. way, um, I think when I was initially outsourcing and looking at how I was going to turn this business from very much a cottage industry into a scalable business, I did look at machines. I looked at maybe you know turning them into fabric. But I think other businesses in the US have done similar to us with social enterprises across the world. They've been able to grow and scale in a really sustainable way and manner. So I think that we're very much able to do this with different social enterprises all over and the world. And also the word machine. I mean, if you use a tool like, like Michael might use or a shaver or, you know, the word machine, what does it mean? You know, it could, it could be something very simple. Is a tool a machine? So it's, it's quite hard to know where the, the boundaries are. Yeah, I think it is. But I think a major selling point for us as well is that the fact that every single toy of ours starts out literally as a ball of wool. So I think that's a big selling point of ours. And, and the fact that we can do this, we can scale this with the social enterprises all made by hand, I think is, is really positive for us. Now, Michael, finally, I'm going to go to you just in terms of your ambition for the business. Are you just happy doing what you're doing? Are you saying, you know, we'll see where we go? Or again, a bit like I was asking Chloe, do you see yourself growing in the next few years, which seems counterintuitive to everything else we're being told? 
Yeah, I, I, I would really love to see it growing and that's solely dependent on it. I, I have to I supplement it with other work, but um, it's something I really enjoy. It's something I'm passionate about. I do want to see it grow and I, I would really like that. Um, how do I see that happening? It's about getting the word out there to people. I mean, you have to really look at people the way they look at maybe sustainability, my timber ties, you know, I see that the European Union now are talking about looking at fixing different products that are produced. My ties can be upgraded and refurbished if, for example, one family decides... Well, I like this idea. A, a message to the European it? Commission if you're listening. <laughs> Michael says, get, yeah, get my, moving. My, my ties can be, you know, they can be just, as the fellow said, sanded back down, given a touch of um, the wax that I used to for waterproof and they're back as good as ever okay. again. And, you know, that's something that I really take pride in. And as you said earlier, that's that's either a way of life or you kind of look at it in another way. And I look at it... Okay. Very really briefly, because uh, uh, Michael is a very good salesperson, whatever, about handcrafted toys. Uh, Geraldine, final word to you. What are your ambitions for your Lachine toys? To continue doing what we're doing and um, to deal with the people we deal with, with website, emails, the students, the pupils, the whole lot... To develop daily, and my husband really works very hard, Pat O'Connor, I have to say he's a great approach to what he does. He was trained as a draftsman, and he taught himself all this. He lost his job initially back in the 80s, and he trained himself in all this, and there's huge credit due to him for what he has turned out. Our stuff has gone worldwide, and it was more than we ever expected. Lecturers took it to Canada. It's gone to all over the place, and we've had lovely well, if, accolades, especially right. people saying how long the materials last. Okay, you know, listen. I agree with both speakers there today. They're talking about leaving their durability. Yes, the they, thing, you know? listen. I have to leave it. I'm under pressure of time. Geraldine O'Connor, there. You're the last voice you heard mentioning her husband as well. So a double team, and uh, everyone mentioned and credited. Uh, she's the co-owner and founder of Lishine Toys. Michael White, before that, who's at Row Oak in Cork. And Chloe, I'm not missing my lectures. <laughs> Gardner, who is studying, but also the founder and come along with the crochet of wonky woolens based out of Galway. Thanks to all three. Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland. Saturday morning at 11 on News Talk.